Perinatal Stories Australia. Welcome to Perinatal Stories Australia. My name is Rebecca, and every episode we provide a listening ear to the lived experiences of mental illness during pregnancy and postpartum. I hope this podcast reduces stigma, informs listeners about support services available, and inspires those on their own healing journey. More importantly, I hope you can hear these stories and know you're not alone. Thank you for being here to hold space for the stories we often keep to ourselves. today with the very beautiful Amy. For those who don't know, Amy is on Instagram as managing underscore mamahood. She has this beautiful community around her and she's just one of the most happy people, like happily, what's the word? Her happiness is contagious, I think. And I'm so happy to have a chance to talk to Amy today, but also to give her some space to share her story because this is the first time she's opened up about that. And I know how scary that is. So thank you for coming on and chatting to me today. Yeah. Hi, Rebecca. It's so lovely to finally meet you. And thank you for having me on your podcast. It is truly an honour to share my story and hopefully help other mums feel, you know, less alone. Um, It's so important. I so appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I want to thank you too for all the amazing things that you're doing with this and your account. Um, Every single post you put up gives me goosebumps, but, you know, in a good way, like, you know, I feel seen and, yeah, it's it's beautiful. And I feel like I'm going to start crying already. (laughs) You and me both. I am a crier, so I'll just warn you. So thank you. It's lovely to be here. How are you feeling today? I'm good. I'm full of nerves, but not... Not in a bad way. I'm yeah. excited to share my experience and story and, um, yeah, I guess nervous about being raw and vulnerable and yeah. opening up to the world. But, yeah, hopefully it helps even just one other person in the same or a similar boat. So, yeah. I have no doubt that your story will resonate with so many people. So just as an overview for our listeners, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Amy, um, you had your first baby, your boy, everything was okay. It was during pregnancy with your second that things didn't quite go to plan. Um, Mm -hmm. Your waters ruptured or broke um, at 18 weeks when you were pregnant. And so you were then on bed rest for the rest of your pregnancy. And just from where I'm sitting, I can only imagine how hard that would have been you've got a toddler to look after. You can't mm-hmm. interact or engage. You can't work. Yeah, I, I can only imagine the the toll that would have taken on your mental health. Um, yeah, it still blows me away to this day, to be honest, that, you know, that, that was our story with Evelyn's pregnancy. Um, so just to introduce myself, um, I'm Amy. I'm a mum of two and a wife to one. <laughs> um, I ran an in- account on Instagram, you've already said, um, I swear I share all that I do to manage life with my two and my husband in our home. Um, my son Harvey is three, my daughter Evelyn, or Evie as we call her, is 10 months. Uh, we live in the western suburbs of Sydney, New South Wales, with our dog Charlie, and my husband's name is Josh. Um, so, as you said, like with Evelyn's pregnancy, we had a really good run up until 18 weeks. I was 18 weeks and two days pregnant. And um, I put Harvey to bed 
and I felt a little leak of something and I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. So cleaned myself up and then it happened again and then it happened a third time and that's when I panicked and I thought something's not right here. This isn't just, you know, a bit of um, incontinence or, you know, anything like that. This is something else Um, and obviously it scared the crap out of me because I thought, you know, what's going on. Um, so that's when I told my husband, Josh, and we went up to emergency and, and, you know, it took a couple of days, the whole long story, but I had it confirmed eventually that, um, yeah, it was my water's leaking. And thankfully it was a slight and slow leak rather than a full, uh, rupture, but I did eventually lose almost all of my fluid. Um, and we were told to prepare for the worst, um, you know, the doctors at the hospital, they said that your baby girl, we knew Evie was a girl at that stage, um, they said it would take a miracle for her to um, to hang in there um, for as long as she needed to because back then obviously 18 weeks is far too early to be um, born. So they, yeah, they just said you've just got to take each day as it comes and hang in there. I did have... Um, one doctor heartbreakingly advised me, I guess you could say, to consider termination um, purely for the fact that we had a toddler at home and obviously that that trauma in itself would be so hard to carry on and carry on, I guess you could say. But I just, she was a perfectly healthy baby girl and I just, I had to keep my faith in her. and. I wanted to do everything that I could to keep her safe and keep her in there as long as I could. So I did. And um, this all happened the very same weekend that New South Wales went into lockdown. Um, So two days after I was admitted to hospital, I was told you're not leaving here until you give birth, whether that's next week, a few weeks time, or, you know, hopefully right at the end. Um, and I wasn't allowed any visitors. I wasn't allowed to see my husband. I wasn't allowed to see my son, and it just killed me. Um, but thankfully, eventually they realised that the risks of keeping me in there for my mental health outweighed the benefits of, you know, that physical safety, um, and they allowed me to go home to be with my family. So, and to this day, I, I really do believe that if we weren't allowed to come home, Evelyn wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been able to have the strength to carry through and yeah, keep her in there. So yeah, it's a crazy story and yeah, it still gets me all teary and choked up just to think of, you know, everything that we went through and all that fear back back then. It just it was horrible. But we got there. Eventually we found our way and yeah. And I think we talk a lot about birth trauma but birth trauma isn't just at birth (laughs) it can happen conception preconception it can happen during pregnancy and yeah there are some great accounts who are you know raising awareness of that but I can imagine that trauma just you know perpetuating until you knew that Evie was safe in your arms Mm -hmm. and even after Mm -hmm. that obviously sorry I'm gonna cry (laughs) I mean good news Evie's here Thankfully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you were on bed rest at home and 
you didn't actually give birth to Evie till the end, am I right? Yeah, yeah, I was 38 weeks. I went in for a scheduled cesarean. Um, I had a cesarean with Harvey because he was a breech baby. Um, and then with Evelyn, I really wanted to try for a VBAC all the way through. But that last couple of months, I just changed my mind. I thought, no, I felt safer going into what I'd already been through before. Um, I felt safer being in a room with, you know, a dozen specialists rather than just, you know, one or two. Um, and obviously there are so many things that can go wrong with surgery, like it's it's major surgery, but I just felt that, no, this is, this is the way I want to deliver her. And even then her delivery wasn't without its problems, but it was still such a beautiful, a beautiful moment and the joy, the relief, the, oh, it was just everything. Like, yeah, it was, our girl was finally here. We made it and it was our happy ending. Yeah. Did she end up going to the special care nursery or the NICU or? Yeah, she went to NICU. Um, so when she was born, she had low blood sugars, uh, which wasn't a surprise because Harvey had the same when he was first born. Um, but with Harvey, uh, my colostrum was able to fix that up for him. Um, and with Evie, throughout the pregnancy, I wasn't actually able to collect any colostrum. So um, I didn't have any for her to have there. Uh, she did have a little feed on me in theatre, which was incredible, um, but it just wasn't enough to bring her levels up. So she and Josh went to NICU while I went off to recovery. And, um, yeah, she was only there oh, maybe 30 hours or something. Like It wasn't long. Um, it was enough. <laughs> it was hard, but um, yeah, it was it was nothing in the scheme of things. And obviously, you know, she she could have been born at you know twenty eight weeks or so, and and be in there for a very very long time. So it was um, it was fun. How was it? I mean, I'm sure I know the answer, but firstly, you were in hospital, you were away from Harvey, and then you were at home on bed rest. And toddlers don't want mums on bed rest; they want to play. Yeah, it was really hard. Um, I guess the hardest thing for me was that I couldn't pick him up to give him a cuddle or comfort him. Um, but my bed rest was more a modified sense. So I was able to walk, you know, to the kitchen and to the bathroom, but I wasn't able to change his nappy or, you know, pick him up. And, um, and it was really hard. But I was also living, because we were in lockdown, I moved back in with my mum and dad for that duration so that I had round-the-clock care. Um, unfortunately that meant I was separated from my husband for that period of time because right. with him at work and everything like that but he did come back and forth every now and then to visit and you know he would take Harvey and I home and you know we'd have weekends here and there together but yeah it was it was tough but I was surrounded by so much support that we just took it day by day and yeah. every single day just woke up yep we're still here we're still pregnant she's still kicking we're doing well we just had to keep stepping forward I guess and that was 20 weeks of that <laughs> yeah wow. yeah and it was probably uh, I must have been about 34 weeks that the hospital was like amazed like each because I was on um, I had to go to the hospital twice a week for yeah. uh, an ultrasound a blood test and just a general checkup Wow. And every single time I walked in there, they would look and go, oh, my goodness, you are still going like you are. <laughs> You're incredible, you know. And um, and that was really special because I felt incredible. I was like, yeah, look at me. I've kept her in here this long. And almost like I told you so. I told you I could do it. Um, and, yeah, but towards the end, about that, that 34, 35 weeks, 
they sort of pulled the reins back and they said, look, you can start to, you know, go for a walk around the block. Um, I was allowed to go to the shops and things like that, which helped, again, the mental side of things as well. Um, And, yeah, but looking back now, I do feel that that last month or so was probably the start of what was to come after, yeah. And it, it's such a weird thing because, you know, you're so close. Let's call it to the finish line of Evie being born. So you almost feel that sense of relief. Okay, if she's born now, it's okay. It's not too early. But when we start to feel that relief, that's when the shock that we were experiencing kind of hits us. Mm-hmm. And it hits us like a ton of bricks. Everything you dealt with prior was probably just catching up to you at that point. So it makes yeah. sense. Exactly as you put it. Um I was so completely overjoyed. Like every single week I would do my milestone photo and a few of them I'd post on Facebook, you know, share with our family and friends. Like, look at us now, we're 28 weeks and here's a quick update and, you know, everything's fine. Because um, at this point as well, my waters had fully resealed and replenished. So Evie was swimming away. Like she was... (laughs) She was happy as can be. And, again, the doctors were like, this doesn't happen. It, it's so rare for what I went through, like with the preterm premature rupture of membranes. It's so rare for that to happen, but it's even more rare for it to, you know, fix itself, I guess. And yeah, wow. Yeah, it was just, it was incredible. Um, but, yeah, as you said, it was, I guess, that excitement was becoming shadowed by even more fear than I had in the beginning um and towards the end like maybe those last couple of weeks there were a few appointments that I went to the hospital and I just broke down and I said I don't want her in there anymore I want her out where I can see her and hold her I don't feel safe keeping her in there anymore and they said you know she's safest where she is you know and I guess I was just so scared that we'd come so far that I could wake up tomorrow and you know the worst had happened and and yeah, we, you know, we got through so much to lose everything, and yeah, yeah it was just a really hard time. And um, but yeah, we we got there in the end, and and she was born safely. And yeah, it was hard. Of course, <laughs> yeah. and you know, I guess even even if everything's okay, you know, it doesn't take away the pain and that fear that we go through at all. And. I know, I know exactly what you mean because I'm very similar. When I start to feel happy and when I start to feel good, that's immediately when the fear kicks in because I think mm-hmm. this is going to get taken away. Yeah. And I can only imagine how hard that was. And I mean, still is, you know, there, there were effects from this, you know, yes, you have your beautiful, healthy daughter, but that wasn't the end of the story. No, 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 it was not. <laughs> yeah. So talk to us about that. So it turns out that was just the beginning of our story with Evie. Um, yeah. A little miracle. She, um, as I said, she had, we had a beautiful birth with her. Uh, the first couple of weeks postpartum were, I guess, as normal as can be. Uh, there were lots of tears of happiness and joy. There were a couple of tears of, you know, emotions and things like that that come up you know the baby blues and things like that but you know all the hormones but overall we had a really beautiful experience and bringing her home to Harvey was just the best thing in the world you know and 
and we just had to keep pinching ourselves that we'd made it, that she was here and and we got our happy ending. But, um, yeah, about three weeks postpartum, um, I don't know what happened, but something changed and like a ton of bricks, I was absolutely consumed by this horrible, horrible feeling of sadness and um, like devastation almost. And it was as if I was living the experience that we were dreading, you know, that it was as if we were in the nightmare situation, not the happy ending. And I was absolutely um, taken aback by it because we had been doing so well. Um, Evie was a very different baby to Harvey. Um, she was much more vocal with her needs and her wants. Um, we had some troubles feeding. She had a bit of jaundice and, you know, some some of the standard issues that come up postpartum, but nothing all that dissimilar to what we went through with Harvey. So it was such a shock to the system that this just come out of nowhere. And I remember at the time that it started, um, it also coincided with Josh going back to work. And as this was the end of the year, his days were busy, busy. You know, he was gone early and he was coming home late. So we were thrown into, you know, the deep end really. Um, And as these feelings came over me, I just thought, oh, like, is it me? Is it that I can't handle the two children? Like um, I'm an early childhood teacher. I've looked after plenty of children before, you know, I'm in ratio sort of thing, like as crazy as it sounds, but I just, I remember feeling like, is this me? Is it that that I'm not cut out to be a mum of two or are they too close together? You know, like I just, I was so consumed by, um, I guess you could say this confusion that I had to, you know, I felt like shaking myself to say we're here, we're we're at the happy ending, this is it, like enjoy it, make the most of it, be grateful. But I just couldn't help this, um, this, dark cloud that came over me and before I knew it it was all consuming um and yeah and I mean I'm not a medical professional here Mm. um but people talk about being trapped in the way that you were when trauma happened Mm -hmm. so you know for you your trauma was worrying during your pregnancy about that worst case scenario and so when things were finally okay, your mind and your body are going back to that specific place of this could be a very different situation and what mm-hmm. I was imagining your body is feeling. Like that yeah. that grief and that trauma or that hypothetical grief really, mm-hmm. um, that stays with us until it then comes out and we're kind of trapped in that until we heal from that and that's it's painful yeah it's very very painful and I have had a history of depression and anxiety before I've I've had anxiety almost all my life um it runs in the family so it's no surprise I'm a very anxious person mostly about you know health and safety things like I, I have to check the doors a lot but the depression I had um uh coming up to 10 years ago um it was a situational sort of thing. My dad was diagnosed with brain cancer. He had a pretty awful prognosis at that point. And 
it just got too much for me. You know, I was only 21 at the time and I really, really struggled to think what life was, you know, where our, I guess, journey was heading. Um, but with uh, psychologist help and uh, some medication as well, I found my feet again. And, you know, within 12 months, I would say I was, you know, back to back to feeling like Amy again. Um, and that's what I guess surprised me the most with postpartum depression is, um, which is what I was obviously diagnosed with in the end, is that I always thought postpartum depression was depression postpartum. You know, it was just depression after the birth of a child. So I'd been through that before. So here I was all this time thinking, I know what, I know what to look out for. I know what signs can pop up to show that things aren't right um, and I know how to, you know, deal with it, I guess. And then it came and it was nothing like anything I'd been through before and and that's what I think really um, bothered me the most at the beginning was what is going on, what's wrong with me? Like this can't be postpartum depression, maybe it is just me, you know. Um, I didn't feel the the deep sadness or depression like I, I really just felt numb I didn't feel anything and I mean I felt everything but I didn't feel anything at the same time I I had none of your typical bad thoughts or anything my mind wasn't mean to me or anything like that I would just I would just cry and cry and cry and I couldn't stop it um and it was terrifying because I thought what is going on here like yeah it was really really hard I can imagine. And there is such a contentious argument um, in the perinatal community about whether postpartum depression is different from non-postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much like you. I've had anxiety and I've had depression before in my life. What I had postpartum was not the same, Mm -hmm. was not the same. And yeah, I mean, again, we're not medical professionals, but Mm -hmm. it felt different. It felt different. And with that, I think, especially when you have a history, you do feel a lot of shame because you think, well, I've gone through this before. Why, why didn't I pick up the signs? Why couldn't I see this was happening? Why couldn't I see things were getting worse before they actually did get worse? We beat ourselves up for that. And we've put that pressure on ourselves because we expect ourselves to have been able to handle that. And when we don't, and when things are different, like you said, this is, we're not taught about this. We're taught, oh, it's just like normal depression, not normal depression, mm. non-postpartum yeah, yeah. depression. Yeah, yeah, We're told that and that's what we're expecting. And when that's not the case, mm. it's not great <laughs> at all. It really isn't. And you feel so lonely and isolated and just, and confused I guess like one of the first things I turned to was Google I and I was googling postpartum depression signs symptoms everything I was on Panda's website I was on Black Dog Institute I was on all of them trawling through all of the different you know educational articles blog posts everything trying to just figure out what was going on because I thought how embarrassing that you know to go to my GP and I don't know what's wrong with me but something's wrong you know I I just I don't know. But looking back now, I think I definitely knew. I think I was just struggling to come to terms with it. And I think definitely also it had started before I really thought it had, like before I'd even realised. Those last few weeks of my pregnancy, as I said, I was in and out of hospital 
on the phone, calling, you know, so concerned about so many different things that were popping up. I'd have to be checked because I thought again that my fluids were leaking and something's not right. You know, I was just, I was absolutely taken aback by fear um, that we would lose our girl. And and I guess that that was where my shame came in and having the postpartum depression was, I wasn't meant to be like this. This was our happy ending. I was supposed to be completely elated and happy and thankful and grateful for everything. Like this was our dream come true and why couldn't I enjoy it? You know, we're sold this rhetoric that you're only allowed to feel a certain way or that, Mm -hmm. you know, if things are okay, you're not justified or it's not valid that you feel sad. And that's so incorrect. It's so invalidating reality yeah. is you're allowed to be grateful that your little girl is here and healthy and that you survived something that I don't think a lot of people can imagine going through but yeah. you're also allowed to grieve what might have been or what could have been different like it, it just blows my mind that we we carry this shame because we're told we're not you know we have to be happy when well we can feel lots of things yeah and so you were googling you were on these websites on these blogs how Mm. did you actually reach out for help what happened at this point so in the beginning I I don't know how um but I suffered in complete silence um I normally tell my husband Josh everything he's my best friend I nothing is ever off limits off topic for us it is everything is out in the open but I could not I could not come to him and say that I was struggling and I couldn't because I couldn't admit it I couldn't admit that I was struggling and I I couldn't say out loud that I think this is something more than just struggling you know to adjust to life with two I I really did feel that it was postpartum depression and um yeah, I, I don't know. I remember feeling so ashamed, but again, it wasn't it wasn't to do with the stigmas associated with it. It was more to do with the fact that this was supposed to be our, you know, our happy time. We'd waited so long for this and um and yeah, so I I didn't say anything, I didn't tell him. Um and he he never found out what was going on. Um, my symptoms, like he knew my symptoms um, in that I was not able to sleep very well, like I was really struggling to sleep. Um, so for that couple of weeks he was actually sleeping in the lounge room with Evie in her bassinet because um, we both thought in the end that it was just me, you know, waking to each and every moan and groan she made in her sleep and whereas Josh can sleep through all of that and then bring her to me when she's crying, you know. Um, but yeah, I just, I couldn't sleep. I wasn't eating. I was just crying all the time. And it was incredible because I would be, I'd be bawling my eyes out and then I'd hear Josh's car pull up and instantly it would just stop. Like flick of a switch, there'd be no tears. Like my eyes would be dry and I, and I'd think I'm not trying to hide this. This is it was like subconsciously my body was like, you can't tell him this is, he would, you know, he'd never forgive you for this. And it was insane because I knew that he would completely understand. And oh, I I don't know. I really don't know. But um, that's how it was for a couple of weeks. And even wow. with my family, 
um, nobody knew. And it was really, really hard. Um, but as I approached that, um, my six-week checkup, I had it already booked in with Evie for her as well. I made myself a promise that I would um, bring it to the attention of my GP. I still didn't know that I would be able to say it, so I actually wrote it down on a piece of paper. Um, I think I had postpartum depression. And, yeah, I, I made myself a deal that you have to say something then because each day was just getting worse and worse and I was feeling less and less like myself and it was terrifying me, you know, and I think a big part of it as well was I was so scared of what happens when you do admit to what's going on, you know. I was having intrusive thoughts and all those scary things that happen um, and I was afraid that what would happen if I admitted that would Evie be taken off me, would I be taken away or, you know, all, all of these horrible things that, you know, I look back now and I think, oh, Amy, you should have just, you know, called someone and told, you know, texted someone that, you know, this is what's going on. And, you know, I knew that I had so much support, but I just, I just didn't have the guts to ask for it. I'm very lucky in that um, only three days before that six-week appointment, um, oh, I had my worst day yet. I was a mess and... Um, I was getting really frustrated with myself as well. And I remember just feeling like, oh, you know, just, Amy, you need to snap out of it. Like you're, ruin you're ruining all of this. You're going to look back on this period with such disappointment, you know, that Evie's six weeks are almost up and you, you know, you've just cried your way through it basically. And you're, you're never going to forget this. And, um, I had a really, really bad day and I ended up putting myself to bed really early, um, but I didn't even get there. I ended up um, in a heap on the floor in our bedroom and hubby had already fallen asleep and thank God he woke up early hours of the morning and he came in and, you know, what's going on? And he just, uh, the look on his face when he found me, just, I'll never forget it. He was absolutely I guess shocked because he had no idea but at the same time you know it's feeling all the concern for me he was so I guess I guess he felt bad that he hadn't picked up on it like he just knew straight away that this was the state that I was in and I guess that I'd been there for a while but um yeah I just yeah and I kept saying to him, it's, it's not that I didn't want to tell you. It's not that I, it's not that you didn't notice. So you didn't pick up on anything. It's that I hid it from you. And without even meaning to, my body just wanted it a secret. And um, yeah, but the second that he knew, it just opened me up to the recovery, I guess. And I really did feel like that was the, the moment that it was going to get better from here. You know, I had, I had him, we went to my GP together. I had my GP support. Eventually when I had the confidence to share that with my parents and my family, we had their support. And then it just, everything just opened up again. And it was like the world wrapped me up in a big hug and said, you, you've got this, it's, it's going to be okay. You know, and I, I felt, I felt like I was stepping away from the worst of it. 
and heading towards better days. Yeah. It really is when we don't feel so alone. You are so allowed to cry because I am holding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we, um, it's that moment we realize we're not actually alone that I think is such a big turning point. You're so right that that is the point that the doors open. It's a Mm. ripple effect. Yeah. It's like you can you can literally see the clouds just moving yeah. away and the sun's coming out and it it's still in the distance and it's still a bit overcast but you can you can feel that you're gonna get there like the better days are coming um and yeah I'm I'm just I'm so thankful I I really do believe that I would have told my GP when I promised myself that I would but I'm so thankful that I didn't have to tell Josh that he was able to find that out for himself as well that you know as awful as that would have been for him to find me in the state that I was in I'm so glad that it was that way not me having to say hey I need some help here because it's so hard it's like it's it's a sentence and it doesn't seem like that much but at the time it's like how can I admit to this like yeah Oh, yeah. And so you've spoken to your GP. You obviously told your family. Mm-hmm. Once you spoke to your GP, what happened then? Uh, so straight away at the appointment, um, I did one of those, you know, questionnaire checklist things that, you know, grade. The Edinburgh postnatal depression scale, yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously I tested, you know, to show that this is what I had. Um, and my GP didn't doubt that anyway with what I was telling her I was um, experiencing uh, straight away I was given um, a script for antidepressants and I was referred to a psychologist but I only actually went to the psychologist twice um, because even the psychologist agreed with me there wasn't much to talk about so with my experience when I was in I guess the worst of it I wasn't having awful thoughts like I had years ago when I had depression I would think awful things about myself and and my brain would tell me these things and you know I had to work through all of that whereas this time around it was like it was all hormonal like it was my body oh, how do I explain it like it's trauma yeah there wasn't you know once we talked about everything that happened in the pregnancy which was that two sessions after that it was like oh well there's you know there's nothing really I want to talk about anymore and um I already had I guess the the tools and the resources and the knowledge to know you know what to do to help myself when I'm feeling low you know exercising going for walks and you know mindfulness exercises and all sorts of things like that I knew what to do so it was it was mostly I think for me the medication I needed to just level myself out again um, and within two to three weeks of that I was I was really feeling the effects of that um, which thank goodness. So talk therapy mm-hmm. wasn't really helpful? Well when I like I said years ago when I saw a psychologist that was for a good 12 months or so I was seeing someone and it was amazing it was exactly what I needed but this time around it was you know I'd be sitting there twiddling my thumbs thinking well I don't really know what to talk about you know and They'd say to me, oh, you know, tell us about how you feel and how you think when you're in that low state. And there wasn't really any, like there wasn't really anything to delve on. It was just, it was just the feeling, this intense 
sadness, I guess, but yeah. On your um, submission form, you mentioned anxiety as well. So mm-hmm. obviously the depression was this huge part of your postpartum. How did anxiety fit into this equation? Um, anxiety, I guess you could say my anxieties were really the least of my problems with Evie. Um, I still had it, definitely. Um, and even my GP, she's, you know, she officially diagnosed me, me with postpartum depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder. And obviously the PTSD was yeah. a given. Um, but the anxiety, I said, no, I'm not crediting postpartum for something that I, I've had that for years. That's not getting that, like, you know, um, it wasn't really all that different to the anxiety that I've grown up with, I guess. It was just a um, continuation, really? Yeah, and I would even go so far as saying that my anxiety after the birth of Harvey was worse than when it was with Evie. I think because my brain was just so consumed with the depression that I just I didn't almost have that much room for it anymore. Um, to this day, I still have my moments and I have my moments in my days. Um, but for the most part, no, I'm in a much better place now. And I would say now it's the opposite, that it's the anxiety that gets me. And, you know, I still don't remember the last time I had a panic attack, but, you know, they they do happen yeah. still. And, um Again, it's mostly about safety things, you know. What if this happens? What if that yeah. happens? And <laughs> Our brains just love to do this to us. <laughs> oh, I know, like all the stupid thoughts. And always at night time when you're trying to sleep, like, yeah, it's just, oh, anyway. So, yeah, um, in hindsight, like looking back, the anxiety was there um, and it was real and it was bad, but, it was nothing compared to the rest of what I was going through. So, yeah. Um, so in terms of PTSD, because that's a pretty big thing to be diagnosed with. And what I think is incredible is your GP actually did that rather than like a psychiatrist or something. So to get a PTSD mm-hmm. diagnosis is phenomenal because so often it's confused for the depression. So I'm yeah. I'm amazed what a wonderful GP you have. And you've obviously got such a good relationship yeah. with them that you were able, as much as it was hard, to be open with them with the support of Josh there with you. I'm very thankful for my GP and the psychologist that I did see that, you know, those two visits, it it did make a difference. It did help. Like everything helped um, back then. And, um, yeah, but I, I really do feel that for me it was the medication that pulled yeah. me through. It was the support of Josh and my family um, and even just, like, you know, um, a phone call each day from someone in my family or a text message just checking in. Um, my mum would often come and take Harvey out of my hair for a few hours and it was really great for him because with COVID and everything, we were pretty much isolating at home for that postpartum period as well because we didn't want to get COVID. Um, so he was able to go on little outings here and there with my mum and, you know, get out of the house himself, which helped his mental <laughs> yeah. health and then it helped my mental health of and we're all the better for it um but yeah it's been a journey definitely a journey my goodness and mm-hmm. I think it's incredible you were able to lean on your family obviously once you were happy to open up to them about what was going on but that practical support mm-hmm. and also that emotional support being able to have both no I knew that if I was having a bad morning say 
I could call my mum and she'd be there in, you know, about 15 minutes or so and I'd have a helping hand to, you know, just manage life, I guess, like just to cope really and and that's all I needed help with at that stage was just coping. I just, I felt like everything was impossible. Like even it took all of my energy just to feed my kids, let alone keep them entertained and happy and yeah it was amazing and I'm I'm so thankful and it really was a turning point when I told all of our friends and family and you know not everybody but the people that needed to know um that this is what was happening and yeah everyone's there for you no one's going to turn their back on you when you tell them anything like that you know everyone is going to Mm. be yeah spoiling you with love and support I wish more mums knew that the people in your life who you love and who love you, they're not going to think any less of you whatsoever and you will be surprised by just how much love you're going to be surrounded by. As you said, it's like a hug. Yep, a great big never-ending <laughs> hug. Everyone is there for you. Yeah. Like it really is. And, oh, I just I wish I could go back to three weeks postpartum and tell myself it's going to be okay, you know, like just you're surrounded by everybody that everyone loves you and it's going to be okay they're all there for you it might not feel like it but yeah and I think that's a really nice message saying that if you could go back and speak to yourself that's what you would say and I think that's a very powerful thing we don't we I'm sure three-week postpartum Amy would not have believed 10-month postpartum Amy (laughs) not even in the slightest no 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 way but you know, even just to think of how well I cope with day-to-day things now, but, you know, also just how happy we are as a family as well. And and also, too, this Instagram account, account that I created six months ago, like I would never have imagined that I would have done that. But I did that because when I was trawling through all the uh, websites and other Instagram accounts, I just couldn't find anyone that had a personal experience out there to read yeah. about. And I just... I yearned for that, for that um, connection. Yeah, yeah. I just I wanted to feel that I wasn't alone, that I could relate to somebody, and that somebody had been through what I'd been through. And yeah. And it seems like you found that you have such a beautiful Instagram community. Yeah, no, it's really beautiful. And just you know, the other day when I I posted it was Are You Okay Day, so I made a post just putting it out there that this is what I have this is you know what I've had for the last 10 months or so um and you know if if you're feeling like that you know it's so important to ask yourself and your friends and your family are you okay and ask for that support um and the messages that I received after that oh it just yeah it just settled all the nerves that I had putting it out there you know it just made me realize that that's what I was doing it for, you know, yeah. It surprises us once we do actually open up how many people say, well, yeah, actually I was there too, don't feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's scary actually <laughs> that we don't talk about it. It is, yeah. It's, it needs to be a topic of conversation so much more often than it is now. And I do feel that it's changing. I feel that a lot more people, especially online, are opening up to reduce the stigmas and to, I guess, just spread the word that this happens and that it's it's okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's still got a long way to go. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Mm. Is there anything else you want to share? Any final thoughts? I look. 
I've literally got here in bold my oh, advice to a it, friend in those notes. My advice to a friend is to tell someone, seek help, and know that no matter what messages your mind sends you, you're not a bad mum and you're not a failure. You just need some support, and I promise it will get better with time. And yeah. that's solid advice. <laughs> Oh, and yeah, teary-eyed advice yeah 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 it's still obviously emotional to even think or talk about this oh yeah and even you know just preparing for this podcast and you know I guess trying to get your thoughts together because it feels like they're scattered in all oh, different yeah. directions and you you do you struggle to remember certain parts of it and I think a lot of it your brain just blocks out like no I'm not thinking about that anymore um, and yeah, opening that up and digging through to find, oh, it's just, it brings it all back. But in a good way, you know, I wanted to do that to, to share my story and hopefully help like even just one mum, if one mum listens to this and says, oh my gosh, you know, um, I felt like Amy did back then. And I know that I can get through this, then I've done my job. Like that, that's yeah. worth it to me, you know? Um, yeah because that's all I wanted when I was there. I wanted a podcast like this and I wanted an account like yours that I could click through, read all your beautiful posts and think, oh, my goodness, it's okay. I'm not alone. Like, where were you 12 months ago, Beck? I was I in hospital you. 12 months ago. That's where I – no, I'd been discharged. It's fine. But, yeah, I was, I was going through my own You're shit. You're doing amazing. <laughs> oh, no, you are doing incredible things and it is just – it's such an honour to have connected with you online and to to be here and helping you do all the incredible things that you're doing. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for having me. Look, I can't take credit. It's all of your stories. They're not my yeah. stories. They're your stories and they deserve mm-hmm. their own space to be told and not just for other mums. It's also allowed to be for you. Like telling this story is hard and if it brings you some sense of relief that I think is so important, knowing that you really aren't alone and that there is there are people out there, whether they relate or not, that they're willing to listen to your story because all of your stories are important. Every single one are all so different, but they all deserve space. Oh, never crying. <laughs> Thank you to all our listeners for holding space for today's story. If you like this episode, please leave a review and rating to help me bring you more amazing content. Join the conversation and be featured on the podcast by sharing your story through my website, perinatalstoriesaustralia.com. If these stories are a bit too much to listen to or to read right now, then come back another time. Protecting your mental health is the number one priority. As always, this podcast and its associated blog and social media accounts is not a substitute for therapy or for getting help. No medical advice is provided, only lived experiences. If any of this does resonate though, please reach out to a medical professional. See you next time.